the podcast the racing world has been waiting for. We're joined by the uh, the godfathers of new racing media, Glenn Pollock, Mark Lamborn from the Rand. Thank you for coming in, boys. Hi, Rich. Hi. Always great to come in and see Kings. <laughs> We've also got the King. King is the um, King. Long as well. King. So the point of this podcast is I want to put some life and colour to what the track was like in the 1990s, mostly the back end of the 1990s. I was out there, I think I, I started when I was about 18 out the track in about 1997. All of these guys were there and were quite significant players in different ways out there at that time. And there's been a lot of requests from people to get you guys on the couch and people love being taken back and learning about what the track was like um, back in the day. A lot of people who watch our show weren't even alive in the period we're going to talk about. So it'll be fun. It'll be a good ride. To get things going, um, we have the advantage that we have an ABC documentary that was made in 1998. And it puts a lot, a lot of life and colour to the track back then. It follows three people. It follows Carlo La Rosa, big punter who all you guys would know well. It follows Sean and Kingsley. Sean was bookmaking at the time. It also follows John Kennedy bookmaker and we're going to play just a couple of short clips during this podcast so people can understand what it looked like out there and what the mood and the tempo was so let's start with his first clip trello play the betting ring has seen better days there's a young mark all that's that's left to the track are a handful of pros and a few seasoned bookies brave enough to take them on John Kennedy is one of a dying breed of big-time bookies who survived the daily war of nerves so Tony on the rails. John. Mm. On a typical race day, he can win or lose up to $100,000 or more. To win $3,000? Warren. He tries to lure the punters his way by offering Alan. them better odds than the other bookies. I've got to try and find out by the way people are behaving and whatever and just the body language which horses they want to back. You might see the major players in the betting ring, as we as we say on the blocks. They're, they're toey. You might even you might even look at the direction their eyes are pointing at the top of the board or the bottom of the board to see which horse they're watching. A lot of people that used to be sort of recreational punters don't really come anymore, and uh, the turnover's fallen away. And a greater percentage of your turnover is from professional punters all the time. Like on the midweeks, probably 80 90% is from professional punters. And by definition, it's going to be pretty hard to beat those people. They know what they're doing. They're probably better at the form than we are. John, give me 2,000 on five. 2,000 on five. All right, so that sets the scene well for us. So why don't we? Roll with what John Kennedy was saying at the end there that when he was turning up in ninety in the late nineteen nineties he feels that it was basically just professional money out there mm. and it's interesting that he's sort of saying the game was gone I got there at that era and I think the game was still pretty strong there there was good money to be made out of the track and if you compare it to what the track is like now it's vastly different but maybe I might start with you Glenn and so when you're out at the track in the nineteen nineties which you still do these days when you go to the track you go there for one reason one reason only is to make money but even more so back in this day because you were bookmaking but you're also punting. And so how did you start bookmaking? Were you a punter first and then went to become a bookie? Yeah, I was a punter for a long time first, which I was only a bookie for 18 months. Yeah. I've been out at the track 43 years. Yeah. So, you know, I don't even recall much about being a bookie. It was just something I wanted to do and had a go and I didn't really enjoy it because I like punting too much. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of making moves, not being – dictated to i suppose with 
are they going to back this? Are they going to back that? And that sort of thing. So I don't think much of my life as being a bookie at all. I've always been yeah. just a punter. Yeah. So it was a pretty short, sharp set because when I got the track in 98, you'd stop bookmaking. Right. Yeah, that'd be right. But yeah. it was Fast and Furious, Glenn's 18 months. It was yeah, a ride. So, so tell us, if you want to tell us a bit more about it, because um, I don't know anything about it. I mean, everyone, you know, Glenn's a popular character. People would love to hear about what he was like as a bookie. Well, and you can tell us too, Kings. Mm. Well, he was fearless. Yeah. <laughs> you go first, Mark. <laughs> well, the, um, look, uh, the players out at the track, they'd seen these guys come and go all the time. Um, you could be... The, the greatest judge of all, but if you sort of hadn't had a go on the stand, mm-hmm. uh, it was like there was something missing. Um, and so I think every big punter basically harboured, secretly harboured an urge to, to, uh, to at least tick that box. Mm. Um, and yeah, so we Because had, you were a bookie as well too for a well, yeah, I was a bookie month. before you and after you. It yeah. was um, a nice stood up next to Well, we've all had a, a lick of the ice cream for sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But, I mean, I found it, I found it really... I really enjoyed bookmaking, but at the same time, Glenn, what Glenn referred to there about making your own moves, you just can't make your own moves. You're actually sitting there, you know, like a, a, a stunned mullet really. Yeah. Uh, at, you're a victim yes. of uh, of clever punters. Yes. So you, you're not master of your own destiny. Um, yes, it's great to walk away from a race and go, well, I hated that horse and I've won, I've got the lot. Mm. But that, that happened Far rarely. too infrequently. Rarely, rarely. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, yeah, basically you're just not master of your own destiny. And it's a game of egos and bookmaking is better suited to those sort of quieter achievers that maybe don't see themselves as form students but more, more as head players. And, yeah. and you know, we've seen the some of the longest-running bookies mm. have been those guys that have been able to play the heads so who, a long period of who time. Were the most, in that era, who were the most successful bookies and would you consider them head players? So obviously Bill Hurley. Bill Hurley Jeff was Pendlebury. a huge bookie back then. But Jeff, Jeff stood Pendlebury. the test of time. Who yeah, the test of time just a Jeff. head player, for yep. sure. Yep. Yeah, because, you know, they've always mentioned interstate bookies, but interstate bookies seem to have a bit of an edge, didn't they, Glenn? It was, they're just better to tell Back then, they, you know, they, they, that was almost a licence to print. Like, I don't think you can really call the interstate bookies bookies. Sure, they took bets, but they just took bets. Yeah. But the yeah. difference with the bookies in the 90s to, the, to now is the majority of them had a, an opinion. Like Mark and Glenn both had strong opinions. Yeah. They were punting bookmakers. They they uh, took sets against horses based on form a lot. Some of the head players did survive, but the, it's, it was the big difference in the nineties. Everyone had an opinion, didn't they? And it was that was the real beauty of it. Yeah, was that people stood by their convictions in a way. Yeah, yeah. And did you sort of get going the most when you were booking? Like, did you have your biggest run? No. As a bookie, you had a bigger run as a punter. Yes. Yeah. 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 Now, with, with me booking, the reason that I, A, I didn't like it and B, I probably wasn't successful at it is because I never stopped punting. Yes. You know, I'd be on the yeah. stand and, yeah, sure, I'd lay <laughs> 6,000 or 4,000 to Sean or Kingsley or to win so, 20 or whatever. Tell the Golden Slipper story. But I, I, what was you that? You've got to tell the Golden Slipper story. Well, the Golden Slipper story was like I was very quickly promoted to the rails like yes. within like nine months. It's a Golden Slipper. And they had me in the rail spot and they – you wouldn't believe it. they actually gave me an agency somewhere to bet on the Golden Slipper. No one wanted to bet in the Golden Slipper. So I said, you know, put some staff out there. So I said, here, boys, blah, blah, blah. Here's the money. Just write any bet, but you are not to lay flying spur. Just don't lay flying spur. And um, anyway, so, you know, start betting on the race and blah. blah, blah. And uh, it, gets, it's, it gets out the 16s now. Everyone's 20s. I'm thinking, geez, I think it's got a good chance and blah. And then all of a sudden, two boards went. 
25s late. It was Johnny Lau and John Kennedy and Billy, who was working for me on the ground. I had a massive book. I was holding 80,000 or something, and I'm not laying flies, but I just said to Billy, go have a 1,000 each way with both those bookies at 25s and races. They're about to jump, bang, bet, bang. And I'll never forget Johnny Lau coming after me after the race and going, why you do that to me? <laughs> why you do that to me? And I, I want to shit, shit low, but yeah. I tipped a winner. So they both beat you 25 for one each way? Yeah, and, and yeah, accommodated good me betting. back in a time that there's probably still a winner for them. Yeah. But it was just the size of the, the game. The, all, all the money was on course. It was just a different beast. Yeah. And now, of course, it's, you know, it's what it is. Yeah, it's mm. sad. But through that period, you could see the pro punters that were running around, and obviously Glenn was one of the biggest of them. Mm. But, I mean, there were there were a number of them. So uh, Spike from that era was um, – he was – Spike was huge. Yeah, he was yeah. front and centre as well. But you could see these punters basically coming up on, on the um, – on the run with these edges, mm. there was a there was a cognoscenti of players at the track, and they're all discussing what's going on. What were the ingredients that 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 uh, basically gave you an edge? Mm. So you know you'd see these waves of edges where these players, Glenn, Spike, Steve Collar, Doctor Nick, they were they were playing these sort of um, uh, constructs. Until and milking them until they were no good, and then coming up with another idea. Yeah. It was so dynamic, mm, so dynamic. and and it was because of the setup. It was because you had these young dynamic guys that wanted to win, but also were putting their mind to playing the playing. Do you think the they races. were using computers, or they were still doing a, a manual assessment? No, no, it was crayons and cardboard, Richie. Really? Yeah, mm. yeah, it was crayons and cardboard. It was yeah. dead set. To, it was all anecdotal too. Yeah. You know, you just basically thought up these things on the run. And, you know, I remember Steve Collar was getting the aim of racing weeklies and going, he was looking at the spread of margins in the field and going, well, that's a hot race. Have a look at the spread of margins. Yeah. I'm backing everything out of that race yeah. when they when they run. So, you know, they were just, they were just little ideas. They're yeah. pearls, really. Pearls, yeah. Mm. But um, these, play, these, these guys were, were betting these pearls until they dried up and everyone was yeah. doing it. And the they moved always. on to the next. I just, I, I just wanted to jump in there and talk about Steve Collar because – he is without doubt, in my life, the greatest I've ever seen by, by a million miles. I mean, Kings and Ray Hopkins are right up there as the greatest gamblers I've ever seen. But when it comes to a genius of form, Steve mm-hmm. was just... And he bet on everything, didn't he? Well, he, he bet, on, the, he he bet on nine meetings was, in a day. Yeah. And he knew he the run the of every last art horse. Yeah. Pulled his just, hair. Just, and how did his hair stay in? Like he's still got a good head of hair. And he used to he's, pull oh, it he's a bit bald now. He's, he's, the, okay. he's the greatest man I've ever met. Is he's he the greatest brain. Yeah. Um, lost a bit of contact with Steve. He's like everyone's just heading home to their office mm. and gone separate ways. But I just wanted to tell you a really great story. Just quickly. Yeah, no, as many in. as you want. Go for it. So Eric Conlon, a doyen of our game, a yes. doyen of bookmaking. He was out there nearly 50 years bookmaking. And uh, I've got a couple of other Eric Conlon stories for later, which you just you'll, I know you'll love, but... One of the best stories I ever remember about Steve Keller was I did a lot of business with Eric Conlon, a lot of betting, a massive amounts of betting, and um, a new bookie, a big Goliath of a man called, of all names, Robbie Williams. You remember mm-hmm. Rob Williams? I do remember him. Yeah. He came up to Eric after the last and he said to Eric, it's the best story ever, he goes, <laughs> oh, there's this bloke, he's an Italian boy, Steve Keller something. And Eric goes, oh, yes, I know Italian Steve. And I go, he goes, yes, he wanted to bet credit with me. I'm just, he said he bets with you, Eric. I was just saying, is he all right? And Eric said, oh, yeah, no, he'd be fine. He'd be fine. You let him on, let him on for sure. 
And he goes, and and Robbie said to Eric, so he's always paid, he's always paid. And Eric said, oh, no, 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 he's never paid. <laughs> and then Rob, Eric goes, uh, Robbie says, what do you mean, he doesn't pay? Oh, no, he'll pay, but he's just never paid me. <laughs> <laughs> and Robbie said to Eric, how long has he been betting with you? About three and a half years. <laughs> welcome, just, to first grade, uh, yeah, welcome to first grade, Robbie. Wasn't he marvel though, Eric Conlon as well? Yeah. I Dad remember going as a kid to the track at, at Rose Hill when I was about 13, 14, 15. And just being mesmer- mesmerized by how many tickets, how quick he could write the tickets. Yep. I just used to stand there and watch. Yeah, that was my first introduction to the betting ring, really, in Sydney. Mm. It was so amazing. I, I remember Eric 10 Conlon. deep just writing so tickets, I'd, tickets. I'd be 18 or 19, and you all of you blokes should be hanging around Eric's stand because he's always betting each way. Mm. And then it'd be, say, nine runners, maybe an odds on chance, and occasionally he might bet each way when he shouldn't. But you guys would be standing around, then you'd be watching him when he starts to put his board up, then he'd lean down, pick the win only sign up, stick it over the each way, and you guys will be like, boo, boo. Um, I was and he's still in good health, Eric? I mean, he's still alive. Yeah. Uh, um, I ask about him occasionally, and I, I believe he's just, you know, doing what he does. He's got a little farm yeah. or something, chips away. Yeah. Just quickly, I was casting about 86, 87, and I, I had to go to Gosford, get some money to do anything. And I decided I'll hitch because – Back in those days, you've got to understand, there's a thousand cars would go past. you go to the races. Mm. So I jump out of a train at Hornsby. I put my finger out. This card pulls over. Eric Conlon in this beaten up old Ford <laughs> with his bookie bags in the back. But you'll love this. I jumped in and sat next to him. I said, oh, hello, Mr. Conlon. He said, oh, I've seen you young fellow at the track. I don't know. What's your name? I said, oh, my name's Glenn. And, you know, he goes, all right. And uh, we drive to Gosford with three bales of hay on the back seat <laughs> and all the windows it. down and he's just driving along and all oh, this, this, this hay and all this loosen and whatever in my nose and, and I'm going, how good is racing? Yeah. <laughs> but why did he have hay? Because he used to uh, feed horses on his property and pig and he bought the right. hay but he was on the rails at Gosford. This is Eric on the rails yeah. at Gosford and he picked me up. Anyway, uh, the byproduct of the story is from that point on from 86 to say – Goodness knows, whenever, 2010, um, I formed a good relationship with him and plenty of times drove him mad because I was short for a while and plenty of times he probably said, oh, can I hold you? And yep. a lot, But he'd bet me to win, say, 10,000 each way on a horse, maybe three different times in a race, and every bet for 25 years went down to HH. It went down to Hitchhiker. There you go. <laughs> and he used to, betting, betting HH, why and then. Uh, and you, you touched on it before. He was amazing at writing the tickets out. He I remember was. he was – there was an awful stink when they told him he had to move to a computer because he it was just wanted, he was, hated. Yeah, and if he didn't want to lay one, he, he just I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to talk to me. <laughs> but the best part about that story is the fact that Eric has paid Steve week in, week out. Like Steve's mm. barely paid him, paid him, and the bookie doesn't care about that. Yeah, no, right. Well, you, you always say it that's here a fundamental right. difference. And also with the H H, you put it down to H, and now with all the Forms and you, yeah. you know you win two thousand. They want to ring the coppers and, yes. and 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 drive you mad out of paying you. Yeah. Back in those days, oh yeah, put it down to H. He knew who H. H. was. It was about making a book though, wasn't it, Mark? Well, but you also you got intel from winning putters. Eric, if you yes. if you didn't play winning putters, they wouldn't they wouldn't help. That wouldn't help you. Eric yeah. once said to me, "I don't care who wins as long as I win," and mm. I think that's a beautiful. Bill beautiful. Murphy was the same in yeah. the modern era. Yep, mm. great yeah. men. Just getting back to Glenn's bookmaking, when I was working for Sean, mm. doing the ground, Glenn used to go up first in the hour. He'd put up 105%. Wow. And I went up to him one time, number two to win 20000 It was uh, $7. I can bet you, but I can't be the fraction. <laughs> <laughs> Turned it into six fifty, eleven 11 to 2. 
Yeah. So that's what it was like then. The percentages were very low. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And did you guys, you and Sean and you, did you go pretty hard at it when you were booking? Were you, there was a lot of, who was your biggest betting jewel? Do you remember? Or uh, when you were booking? Bob Ingham. Bob Ingham. Interesting. Okay. I used to bid him, unfortunately, I used to lay octagonal to him all the time and then I'd aim up and say, I thought you had more money than that, Bob, and (laughs) really give him the shits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was a big bet back then, though, for Bob sort of thing? To win 50. Yeah. Yeah, to win 50. Good bet. Yeah. And then I had betting jewels with Ray Hopkins, another, like, probably the greatest man that ever walked on a race course to me. You know, and um, it's funny because Ray would settle, a check would come on Tuesday, he'd post it on Monday, or vice versa, I'd post him a check on Monday. We'd settle weekly. And he used to write me beautiful letters about oh, where he thought I went wrong on this race wow. and handwritten letters, oh, which wow. at the time I thought, oh, that's very nice. And then I'd put them in the bin and now I've just filthy oh, on myself. Because I, never, cause I yeah. throw everything out. I'm yeah. a real chucker, unfortunately. And um, But they were beautiful handwritten. Now, now, Glenn, that time when you went up sixes in race five at Canterbury, I really felt like, you know, you should have – trying to teach me almost. Yeah. Like, mm. yeah, so he saw you as a protege. And, and that was another big thing about the track. I mean, I was adopted by Peter Todd. Yes, um, 1987, we're going up to I'm, – I'm working for a little bookie called Steve Garner who happens to be friends with Peter and so Peter came along to sort of watch. And I met Peter at that time and I was just a keen form student. I was like not interested in uni. I was clerking as, you know, t- dozen times a week. Uh, and Peter just saw me and said, look, um, I'm looking for someone to, um, to do some markets for me uh, because I'm, I'm starting to put the prices up first in Sydney. Yeah. And I didn't have any skills. He just picked, plucked me out and mm. said, I'm going to teach you mm. and pay you at the same time. It was mm. the most fortuitous thing that ever mm. happened to me. 1987, coming back from Newcastle Carnival, I'm going. And how old were we then? Like early 20s or something? Yeah. Because yeah. he was 20, a huge 22. bookmaker too, Peter Todd, in the middle he of the was, rails. Was yeah. Huge bookmaker. Yeah, yeah, I remember him going up first. Very competitive pricing as well, 110% probably. Yeah. yeah, well, so his idea, and, and I, I, I was, you know, I was basically feeding him. We were both doing markets together and trying to blend them and then putting up as competitive a market as possible to get, because you only had 30 minutes of betting. Mm-hmm. So you had to get the thing going. Yeah. Like you, we've seen betting rings, you know, in the old days, obviously it's different now, but betting rings where you only had 30 minutes to bet and the bookies would put up 150 and you just sit around and mm-hmm. snooze for mm-hmm. 20 minutes and it doesn't help. The marketplace. Yes. So his idea was let's get the marketplace going. Let's flesh out, flush out, you know, what people want to back. Because mm, there's no pre-post back then. Obviously. No, 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 it was no exciting that when the yeah. first market sort yeah. of came out, it was exciting. Yeah. Everyone was sort of standing like, around not waiting. Even Mark and Reed was doing markets. There was no. Yeah. Was, and no Betfair. No. 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 So no Betfair, no pre. Would there be doubles markets you get a bit of a guide from? Yeah, yeah so there were, but they were small things. Yeah. Really. But, I mean, yeah, so initially the doubles were a thing in the 70s and then for some reason – those licenses vanished, and they then they, got were, stripped, they were well. I, I, maybe, maybe the doubles bookies just folded. Yeah. But anyway, in the in the late eighties, um, the AJC decided to offer some doubles licenses again, and Max Shelton and Stuart Davidson applied. Well, were the successful applicants, and I think Stuart mm. wasn't even of age at that stage. Oh but, no, he so, would have been. So you did have the um, you did have the advantage of a little bit of activity through the doubles markets, giving you a bit of an insight. But, you know, proper players wouldn't show their hand there. Mm. Why would you give your edge away when mm. you've got 
when you've got 20 bookies along the rails that you mm. can get on to win five with each of them. Oh, yeah, that was, but that was the NBL at the time, but they'd often beat you to win more than five. Yeah. Often, you know. Um, mm. Barry, Murray Early. Beat, Barry Murray beat you to win ten each way just like the minute he went up. <laughs> and he, he would feel like he was ungentlemanly not to. Mm. The great man. So to move it along a bit, the next clip I'm going to play is some footage of you and Sean um, arriving at the races for the day and just a little bit of action of you guys during the day. What I would like you to talk about is what you guys were up to back then. What was your approach? How did it go? And then I guess eventually why did you move away from booking and just stick to punting? So you got it going. Ready, Mitch? Here he is. There he is, the king. That would have been 18 or 19 then. Ron Krogan. I've got another great Ronnie Krogan story up. That was before the first. Success rate, say, to to be still going in two years would probably be 10%. 90% fail in the first two years. John Kennedy. Just run me through what this one up. And they just look long from the best after that. Before then with the binoculars, he passed away, didn't Indeed, he? Aaron Burke, yeah. Ten and nine have failed. Top prices, ten and nine have failed. Have a whole lot back. There's the king. Give him a haircut, king. Push him, Flames. Jimmy Bramall. Yeah. yeah. Nick Thomas, yeah. Okay, 11 away Union Wells. There it is, 11 away. Okay, so it gives a bit of a sense of what was going on then, but... And just for a bit of context, the reason the ABC were following Sean is because he just got his license back for the second time. Yep. And so this is when you, you know, earlier in the episode, it shows him at the Bookies Cup getting his license. You're out of the track, away you go. And you guys were quite contrarian. And I'm sure you both will agree, like these boys came along and shook things up a bit, didn't they? They were. Oh, did they what? Yeah. They came along and to be kind. I mean, I just thought they were complete fucking idiots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were young and they were clean cart. I mean, look at Sean. He looks like a fucking male model. Yeah. <laughs> and there's the king eating a cucumber sandwich. I thought they are going to last five minutes. That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. Then I got to build a relationship with both of them. I thought, oh, they're nice boys. I'm going to say they like betting. That's, you know, they kept ticking boxes for me. Yeah. And then, of course, they haven't stopped ticking boxes the whole way through. They're both so successful, right, you know, like incredibly. Yeah. But at the time, what did I think? I thought they were just... Like yeah. bank clerks. Yeah, thought they were going to be there five minutes. <laughs> and that's what John Kennedy says. He says that only 10% of bookies are still around after ten year, after two years. Mm. Yeah. But what was your first thoughts on the boys? Oh, first they, they, they looked incredibly mild-mannered, you know. Mm. And, and But you didn't realise that underneath that mild manner was um, just burning ambition. Mm. Yeah. You know, it, uh, it took a while to manifest itself. But it was I funny mean, because yeah. they were on the outer and they were in each way at the time. I don't think they quite judged that the each way was mathematically wrong. I don't think they did. And there were 33s each way something. And I remember thinking the way the map was, this has to trip to miss a place. Anyway, I remember I said to Sean, can I have uh, 20 to 600 each way? And he said, Glenn, I'll bet you half and had 10 to 300 each way. And then it ran a place. And they must have had laid the winner and next thing it's taken out 2,800 <laughs> of the place. Sounds like a stink. Yeah. And, and they yeah. come back and there's like kings waddling along behind Sean. <laughs> and there's Sean. And they're just both scratching their head. They're going, I didn't think they could win, but Glenn really fucked us there the place. <laughs> and it was Used just to like, back a lot of roughies in the place. Yeah. And I just thought, place. 
how can they last? But you know, like they were just different times. Yeah. Um, they, they, they're a bit sad to look at, actually, for me. It is. But mm. what was the approach, Kings? Like, so when you okay, so the first time you were because you guys made quite a bit of money, right? It was Sean's license. And yeah, obviously so I was, was just working. So was, I was young. Yeah, I was eighteen, yeah, nineteen, just yeah, learning, helping so. him out. So it was all yeah. Sean's go. But correct. He used you to try and help him. You worked for him. Obviously, you were his number one staff member. Yeah, yeah my job was on the ground, which back then was looking at. Uh, There's no internet, obviously, so I was just looking in the ring at what everybody else was doing and relaying that information to Sean. Mm. Uh, handling the phones as well. So I think phone betting came in in the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. No phones were allowed on track, mobile phones to use previous to that. So we'd have a few clients on the phone. Mark Reed would ring from IAS or a few big punters and I'd handle them on the phones. But my main job was relaying the information back to Sean what was happening in the ring, mm-hmm. which was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was great fun. Yeah, there's so on, much happening. You're on the ground hanging with all of us and talking. Yeah, yeah. And what are you doing, Glenn? Or what, you know, just all chit-chatting. Learning, mm. really. You know, watching, you know diff- different teams in those days, like Guy and Frank were working for Ross Evans. I mean, the big syndicates were on cause. Yes. yes. Now Ross the big, big syndicates are, you know, in the Isle of Man. Did Jelko have a presence on, on, on cause back then, he do you came, think? He came. He had a brown Porsche and he turned up, but he, he stayed in the commission room, tote betting only, and never came out to have a fixed odds drop. But I, right. that I even remember. Yeah. So Ross had run out. Ross Evans was big uh-huh. back then. Guy Burnham was working for him and mm-hmm. he put a lot through the betting ring. Mm. Yep. But getting back to Sean, Aaron Burke was doing the form for him back then. So as I said before, everyone had an opinion. Sean, yeah. Sean had an opinion. He's a real opinion bookmaker. Yeah. Brilliant at figures yes. as well. So he would, he would know when to use the form and just use the sort of mathematics as well and put it all together. But big gambler. Yeah, yeah. and he, like, he didn't give a fuck, eh? He just fearless. big and hard. Fearless, yeah. Fearless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, fearless. Yeah. I remember we yeah. both stood up at a maiden at Hawkesbury, both next to each other in a maiden, mm. both booking, and I wanted to back Wally and he wanted to back Billy. Last race. No, it was first race. This was, was. It? first race. And I said, oh, to win 50, Billy. And he said, yeah, yeah, to win 50. And he said, oh, to win 50 with you, Wally. And I went, yeah. Because <laughs> I couldn't say no after he just – I didn't really want to bet him to win 50. But <laughs> he just bet me to win 50. And just who, different times. Did Billy or Wally win? I can't remember. Yeah, that. But just, yeah, it's all a blur. And it didn't matter. It's mm. all a blurb. I, I know I had one was a real bad loser and one was a real big winner. Yeah. That's what it was like. Yeah. It was just different. Whereas now it's, you know, you've got corporates worth billions of dollars by bet blokes to win two. Yeah. Just a different beast. Michael Cook was betting big back then yeah, too. Yeah, he was a big player so in the Michael ring. Was was Mark big, Sheen yeah. was another player Mark, in the ring back then. Michael Cook was a big player. Yep. Yeah, he was He was absolute. Like when I arrived on the course, he had a bit of awe about him. He was yeah. sort of like when he came in the ring, it's like, oh, Cook, he's in the ring. What's he doing? That kind of thing. So it's funny. So, he still talks about the story of when he was fourteen or fifteen, Michael, and he was coming home from Gosford and he needed to lift, so he just jumped in the old Glenster's Ford, and he was just this tiny little kid, and I was like twenty-two <laughs> or something, and I had like twenty or thirty thousand just in the centre console, and I just threw it all in the back, and I said, "Just sort that into tens for me, kid." And he bundled it all together for me, and uh, he would have got such a thrill out of it. But and now, yeah. like you know, he's a giant successful man. Yeah. There's the old Glenster still cast, but still <laughs> breathing. Yeah. Still betting. Yeah. Still betting, still breathing, and um, the race isn't over. When I gave you a lift home, I reckon 25 years ago from Gosford one day, and we were just cruising along the freeway, we are having a good old chat as usual, and you looked at me and you said, I'm going to tell you one thing, Richie Rich. In 20 years from now, you'll be the head of a C- uh, you'll be the CEO of a big multinational company, but the old Glenster, he'll still be going out in the races. So do you think it's turned out true? Would you consider this role that I'm in now the head of a multinational company? Well, I'm cheering you to be successful and this is like running, being in a company, I suppose. Yeah. And I am still at the track, which is kind of sad. I don't look at it as a badge of honour. I look at it as a badge of fool, foolishness. Mm-hmm. But I, I do like going. I watch, love watching the horses parade. It's mm. my uh, main love in life. And 
um, being with Racing Rant, that's the main part of my job as long as the, sh- the shows we do is but relaying information from the parade. Oh, yeah. we had such an amazing time growing up through that era mm. that it is it's, – it's a real uh, honour to be able to share some of those stories and to bring some of that colour to um, to the racing community now, mm. because mm. it was it was you could like shows like this were very rare. Very you, got, rare. you just didn't get an insight, um, and journalists would write stuff, but the journalists didn't really know what was going on. Mm. You know, they they were observing and they were reporting as best they could, but they weren't within, mm. and so you mm. didn't get these tales back then that you're getting now, because obviously now we're able to 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 tell our own stories. Yeah. And sort of finish off your stuff, Kings, what do you think was the reason that Sean ultimately didn't make it as a bookie and went on to be a successful punter and yourself too? Like mm. you've been a successful I punter. I think it's hard to do both. Mm-hmm. I think you're either a punter or you're, or you're a bookie. Yeah. I think I, I would – I've never bookmaked myself. I only worked for bookies. But I wouldn't make a good bookmaker because I'm too opinionated. I, and I, I find it hard to say no as well. I like being in control. Yeah. I can't beat bookmakers a lot of the time if they're in control either. So I like to be in control of what I'm doing. If somebody's picking and choosing what I'm doing, I don't win. But if yeah. I can pick and choose what I'm doing, I do win. Mm. So I, th- I think it's hard to do both and your exposure is too big as well. It's just you need to yeah. sort of keep it. You need to be a real businessman. Mm. And I think we're just not that. doesn't suit my personality, that's and for sure. Imagine me. Doesn't yeah. my personal. You could say that about Ray as well because, I mean, you know, both of us held Ray Hopkins in incredible esteem. I worked for Ray for a while, stood on his stand, um, but he was never a bookie for very long. Mm. No. You know? He was he always was, a punter. He, 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 was he cut has out punter mentality, punter. doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Who are the bookies that you guys respect the most over the years in, in terms of being the crafter book? I mean, it doesn't, you don't have to necessarily like them as a person, but you respect them the most for their bookmaking ability. You think about that. Well, I suppose... You know, there's quite a few of them that I respect about the same thing. There's not one that I think's like a god. Yeah. Like I think of Ray, mm-hmm. um, you know, Jeff Pendlebury, Billy Murphy, um, Eric, Eric for sure. I mean, Eric was cast most of his life. He always had a few blokes in the joint with him. Yeah. And they were hard. The, the couple that we – I won't even mention their names. and One of them's now dead. But they were hard and tough blokes. Yeah. I mean, really hard and tough blokes. I remember I owed – Eric 18,000 one Wednesday and one of his um, uh, clerks and you know, anyway, he's dead now, Dave, Dollar Dave, Dave Johnson. He actually bailiffed me in the car park before the first. I wasn't even in the track and he was asking me for the 18. I said, Dave, for Christ's sake, give me a chance to get in the track and sell. I've got to pick some money up off other people. Yeah, to try and pay. It was yeah, just yeah. like, you know, he was like sweating bullets. Yeah. But that was Dave's personality. Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story about Dave. Have I got a second? To yeah, go as long as you want. Uh, Dave unfortunately died in his probably his early fifties, mm. and he took his own life, which mm. is sad because he, mm. as it turned out, he must have been a very lonely person. Mm. He was uh, put how can I put it kindly because he's dead. He was hard to like in real life, yes. but he was a race. He was another part of our thing, and uh, it, everyone was welcome. You see, that was the thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just There's so many different personalities like, yeah, as well. Dave was a bit like Telstra, you know, like with Telstra, all you ever hear is oh fucking Telstra. And it was a bit the same with Dave. Oh, fucking Dave, you know. But, you, you know, he was still part – he was certainly part of the – whatever the word was, you know. all the different yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, didn't know he had any problems. He always seemed to have lots of money. And uh, – but he bailiffed me 
on and off for 20 years. Have you got that settling? You got to pay Eric today? Blah, blah. Yeah. I'm a bit short. Oh, my God. Yeah, stressed <laughs> and stressed and worried about money and blah, blah. His whole life. And I was walking out of Ramwick one day. It would have been a Wednesday. I was cast. I was so gone. I was just dragging my feet along. I was walking past the old commission room. And, you know, there's a toilet in the middle there. Mm. And Dave walked out of the toilet. And he said, Glenn, Glenn, Glenn. You look awful. Are you okay? And I'm going, oh, fuck. And Dave, have a look at me. He said, take 200 This might help you. And he gave me $200 and he walked off. And when he walked off, my brain said, oh, Dave's going to kill himself. Wow. And he was dead by Saturday. Wow. Isn't that a weird story? Mm, and I weird. fucking knew he was off because mm. he would not give me 200 to get home. That's not who he was. And I remember I made a promise myself to put the 200 in a salvo's bin and I never did because I'm just a fucking low thing. <laughs> but I never paid him back, obviously. And he wasn't really a friend but he was certainly yeah. part it was of It's very sad though, wasn't it? It's very sad. It's but I, I knew he was off. Yeah. But I couldn't do anything about it. Mm. But he lent me – he said, oh, he's 200 to get home. He did not ever do that. It was mm. a weird, weird mm. part of my life, that. Because mm. I felt like I should have said something. He yeah. bookmaked in his own right. I'm not sure if it was in the 90s, but yeah, yeah he did. He must did. have been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he, was yeah. old. he was over the back there. The trots yes. and over the back. Yeah, he loved it. He loved it. Mm. But he, for some reason... Mark Reed was big back in the 90s in the Sydney Absolutely. betting yeah. ring as well. I think he started IAS 95, 96, but that first five years he was huge. Mm. He did come and go a bit. People no. are captivated by him though. Like they, well, I did this that isn't the ultimate showman. Mm. Yeah. But, I, you know, there was a lot of front there with Mark Reed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that the pro punters definitely loved having him there. Absolutely. Um, whereas, you know, dynamic, there were other tradesmen like I had a lot of dynamic time for Phil man. Mads. Dynamic man. Did you have some good tussles with him, Glenn? Not, not really. I didn't really partake. I stood next to him on the rails. Mm. Uh, he was in the stand next to me. Went, but he was like almost looking at me like, what are you doing here, you kid? Mm. And, you know, I drive a Bentley to the track and you're still in a beaten up old Ford, which I've always driven a beaten have up you always had a, Have you ever had any other brand other than a Ford? Beaten up Fords. The whole time, yep. yeah. Yep. yeah. And I think it goes back to hitchhiking with Eric picking me up with the hay in the back seat in a Ford. It just, to me, they were bookies or punters cars. Because <laughs> yeah. you can crash into anything. Even now, Frank I, Jones I, always drove I a crash Ford. into everything. I don't worry about it. Mm. Hmm. So one thing that I liked in this... Um, doco was John Kennedy talking about losses, taking losses. And there's also a little bit of a clip when Sean talks about taking losses. Mm. And I want us to talk about you guys would have been through thousands and thousands of photo finishes and how do you handle losses and how do you just keep getting up each day and, and betting. I think people will find it interesting if we talk about that. But we'll quickly watch this clip. And just to set the scene, what has happened is in a particular race, John Kennedy um, had a good result. And then there's a protest. Ray Murray, he is chief steward at the time there's a protest interference in the first 50 meters of the race oh, what a beauty, um right? and we'll see what happens there's some we won't see john kenny say he says there's no way they'll uphold this so we'll throw to the footage see his response and then we'll have a bit of a chat it cost you was at least in the order of one and a half lengths the margins are long neck we've got no hesitation to agree with your uh, objection the placings now will be amended three dual uh, photo on first Nine, uh, take a flight uh, second. Thank you. I reversed it. No problem. Next case. Next race. (laughs) Next race. It was a surprising decision, but... Well, you can see how much it stings. They're running it. He stings? It's over now. It's hurting. It's all gone, so that's it. Oh, well. 
It's the game. You can't take it, get out, get out of it. That's a great point. You've got to be able to take it. Gee, I missed the litter on the course. <laughs> yeah. But this is Sean and King's going to get his grip. Doesn't stop. <laughs> How's the cucumber, King? Just <laughs> can't stand a minute, man. Only favourites to be stand are the ones that are fucking me. Yeah. So I'll throw <laughs> to you, Kings, just to start. Mm. So the feeling that Sean's experiencing then, and you would be to agree, you've gone through that hundreds, even thousands of times, yeah. you know. Still am. Yeah, it never finishes. And what is it about what do you do each morning to get up and just keep on pushing well, You ahead? just look forward. You can't. You can never look back backwards. What do I bet on the next race? Mm. And that gets my mind off it. Mm. I find something else to focus on to take me off it. To not look back and dwell on on the past, or you've got to be positive. And that, being a, from a punting perspective or any gambling perspective, the mental battle is the hardest. I've seen so many people who are a lot more talented than me and a lot better at the form than what I could ever be at, but they just can't handle the mental battle of the punt, mm. the head fuck that it is. Mm. Yeah, day after day after day. But you've got to be positive. You also got to look back at your past results and not just focus on the the losses. Look back at the wins and when you were lucky, and keep some perspective on it. Really, mm. it's too easy to go down that rabbit hole of how un, unlucky am I all the time. Mm. Yeah, it's a real rabbit hole. I agree, they, they, and that's something I certainly fail at. I I, I dwell too much and it, it, to my detriment. Yes. Well, the best thing is you've got another race just around the corner. I mean, yeah. you really can you really can look forward. There's never a last mm. race. Is well, I mean, I just I don't understand what the real world does on Saturday afternoon. What do you what do you what do bugs do? Do they go to the IKEA with their filthy misses and try and act like they're enjoying <laughs> themselves? Like, what do you fucking do on a Saturday afternoon? Yeah. If you don't bet, the key to not betting game, isn't it? Really, so you can do that. So you yeah. don't have to go to IKEA. Mm. My friend, someone said to me, "If you don't win, you lose." And I thought, well, "You're a kid, and you, you're so right." Yeah. yeah. Best saying of all time. Yeah. If you're not a winner, you're a loser. Do you have anything to add to that, Mark? Yeah, well, look, I, I remember lots of times, I, I experienced this a lot at Wyong. Also, I seem to have worse, worse results at Wyong than other places, but I, I just wander off going, am I cut out for this? Is this, you know, am, am I not smart enough for this game? Because as a bookie especially, you tended to just get... Like, you, you, you were more of... You, it was easier to see yourself as a victim, put it that mm. way. You know, as a punter, you're making the, the the decisions that you make. Whereas, as a bookie, you just tended to, you know, obviously the punters were making the decisions, and and you were hoping they were making the wrong decisions. Mm. But um, there was a lot of second guessing after the bad results. Oh, like I'd go off crying, and and then Peter would say something like, "Oh, he didn't like that winner, eh?" And I'm going, "Fuck off!" Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's really hard to take those results. But of course, you know, ten minutes later, again, there's another race. Do you think you're better at handling? Bad runs and losses these days than you were. No, 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 no. It's no. all, it's all. There's so much ego involved in this game that if you're going badly, you take it badly. Yeah, and, and that's what gets you in in the first place. But yeah, it's so easy to feel stupid, and obviously, you know, that's what losing makes you feel a bit stupid. Um, and you've got to be able to handle that. But it's hard at the time. What about on the other side of the coin when you're fucking airborne? Do you sometimes get a bit of an anxiety about that? Is that ever, you know, well, is that, is you that, can that happen? Well, you can't remember how you were fucking so useless before. Mm. <laughs> it's like... It's a weird feeling, yeah. It is. It's, like, it's not like I've had times when I, for my own level, which is very small, been like airborne and it's like, fuck, like 
I try not to think I am. Yeah. I always think I'm losing. Yeah. I've always got that mentality where I'm against it. I've got to yeah. win today. I never think I'm going well. Did you ever start, like in some of your biggest run glens when you put together significant money? Did you yeah. ever have a bit of anxiety about that feeling, or was it always just? No, it's just you're just you know you're seeing them well. Just you know put your pads on, go out and try and hit sixes and four again. You, yeah. I, that's how I thought. The only time gambling's ever affected me and I've been like scared or emotional is when I'm betting small. Yeah, betting mm. small scares the shit out of me. Mm. Like our period I'm going through, it's just terrifying. Yeah. Betting mm. big is easy because yeah. a you're going well, b you got a good bank. And you just want to put it on. It, having eight thousand on something, or having had fifty thousand on something, you know, like that doesn't scare me at all. Having a monkey on it mm. terrifies me. Mm. Mm. And I think that's because that it re- becomes real money, sure. and you're trying to get through yes. the month. And you, you, yeah, mm. you know, like bills are fucking cheap when you're winning. I promise yes. you. Yeah. And when you're losing, mm. bills are expensive. Oh. It's just terrifying. You know, yeah. I think the best piece of advice I can give anyone that wants to get involved in punting is that. Now, I don't want to get in the bag of Volandis because a lot of punters, we think differently about Peter because of, you know, he's pushing taxation rates and he's trying to build prize money and, 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 and the breeders don't seem to have to weigh into our game. It's just the punter who gets hammered. But I did hear him in an interview just recently walking to the airport when he was trying to explain the gambling dollar that it's entertainment that, you know, people spend a couple of hundred dollars a week on golf, which they do. Mm. So if you lose a couple of hundred punting, this is entertainment. I think anyone out there that saw that interview or thinks that, you know, that you're not going to win, that it's just entertainment, has got to throw that – has not – don't get involved in our game. Come into our game because you want to win mm. and that you want to turn over more than $200 a week mm. because you're not going to lose $200 a week. If you turned over 1000 a week, you probably – if you were a biggest – fucking wombat that ever walked the earth and you turned over 50,000 there, you really shouldn't lose more than six or eight. Mm. That means you're losing 150 a week. But go away from that mindset of it's entertainment. It is It is about. It's a game mm. on. Do some work. Process everything. Really concentrate on getting the right odds. Mm. Please don't think that there's no difference between 460 and 420. There's a massive mm. difference. Yeah. Yeah. And and not trying to tell you to be professional, but be serious about your punting. And if you're not going to be serious about your punting, go to Ikea with the filthy missus and buy yeah. a, a new a, a Malamite table. Yeah. It's a better way to live. And then what about making that Malamite table up? That, that's yeah, even worse. Outstanding. Another <laughs> you outstanding should, should all, yeah. Yeah. But There's a real acceptance of defeat now in the younger generation oh, with punting, isn't, isn't there? It? It's, it's just like terrible. We, we bet we can't win. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what a beauty. Well, mm. don't bet. Mm. Please that don't was one of the ideas out. around starting Wolf Den was to try and educate in some form, that you can win. There is a chance. We don't have to just accept it. There's ways to win. Absolutely. There's still a lot of ways to win. A lot of ways to win. You know, and if you do lose a couple of years in a row and you are no good at it, except you're no good at it, and then Mm. buy a surfboard. Yeah. But please don't think that you're betting for entertainment. Punting is never entertainment, ever. Mm. Just getting back to the good run, if you're having a, you know, airborne, be prepared for a loss after Mm. that. Don't think that that's going to last if you're winning... 30, 40, 50% on turnover, don't get mm. ahead of yourself. You're only going to end up around that 5 to 10% if you're good. So mm. you've got to keep it realistic as well. And I would on that subject, like look at the, the biggest punters in the world, the Dr. Nicks, the Jelcos, and even like that Phoenix group. It's all about scale, isn't it? Like they, they have huge staffs and they might, they might win 50 million in a week, like have an incredible week, but then mm. still I'm sure the guys at the top would be like, great result, but we need to keep pushing forward because every week our expenses are $2 million or whatever they are because they've got so many staff. So it's all relative, isn't it? I don't think there's any 
successful punters out there who ever take it for granted. You're always no, don't spend too much too. If you win 30, 40, 50,000 or something, don't go and spend it all. You need your punting bank there to continue yeah. on. But the worst feeling you can get at that time, and it's an understandable feeling, is um, I think I remember I won 16 and a half one day at Gosford and I thought, wow, that's fantastic. And the next, uh, next week at Gosford, you know, I lost on the first race. I did five on the next race. I ended up... <laughs> Ended up losing 18000 But it was all, all through the day I was thinking it's okay because I'd won all mm. this money the previous meeting. It's mm. not okay. It's mm. not okay at all. It's not okay no. at all. Mm. And, and that's, a, that's a feeling that you must must shut out yeah. and, and not not enter into. Mm. Yeah. So why don't you, sort of to finish things off, why don't we move to what we're all doing now? And do you want to – sort of, you, you started – did you start the Punish show which then became no, a well, racing – Glenn and I have, a, have an, had an interesting start with Dallas. Dallas put us together yeah. back in 2009 – and he recognised – so Dallas – He was working for Racenet at the time. Yeah, I know. But he recognised that the stories from the track were never told. Mm. Yeah, he and did. I touched on that earlier when yeah. I said, well, you know, the journalists have done their best, but they've never been within. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Dallas's idea was actually to get two guys that were within. Mm. And, you know, we, we, we'd entered on an era where um, media, media had – expanded so you could basically tell your own stories yes yes and so he, he he came up with the idea of actually you know tales from the track the tales from real punters mm. and so he put and, and when he together. spoke to me i said no one's going to watch this dallas <laughs> no one is going to watch you know what anyone's to the track he said i'm telling you this will be fun this will be good you'll enjoy it anyway sorry mark i didn't mean to jump in yeah so i mean dallas was a broadcaster he, he, put, together, he put together um an ill-fated uh, show on 2sm and he was he was into he was an impresario yeah He's a talented man. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah no doubt. And he's he had hugely some great, talented. Had some great ideas. Yeah. So he put us together, yeah. and suddenly there was content available for yes. people to watch that they'd never seen before. Yeah. And and you know even today they still, you know they still like to watch this because it not only have you got tales of your, but you've got that's informing our own commentary now. Mm. So we're you know we're, we're still able to analyze. Um, this fantastic, this fascinating um, pursuit, um, with that experience in mind, and so other players are coming in and they sort of learn. They sit at your feet. Mm. Um, you know, the best example I could I could give of uh, the idea behind the punters show is that uh, you get someone like Gord. Now, Gord, my brother-in-law, back in two thousand and nine when we started, he was just tearing up his. He, he was driving a bloody truck. He was tearing up that money every Saturday, just tearing mm. it up, putting it through, putting it through tab machines. Mm. And he starts watching us, and he's got a bit of an ego. He thinks he's probably better than us. He is better than us. <laughs> and, but he basically <laughs> starts watching and and starts thinking about how starts thinking how to play the game. So he's he's encouraged to actually put his mind to it. Mm. And so some of the ideas that we floated on the punters show were novel ideas, weren't they? I mean. People hadn't heard this stuff because they hadn't been to the track and they were no longer able to hear them because the track had died by that stage. So here we were basically um, talking about stuff that was interesting and engaging Mm. and useful Mm. and there's someone like Gore just going, oh, I'm going to apply myself now and I'm going to come up with some strategies based on the stuff that you guys are talking about and I'm going to improve them because I'm better than you. Mm -hmm. And that's the idea. Basically we're offering punters... You know, we love this game and we want people to play this game. And so we're offering them a chance to, to get involved, to learn and then to go off on their own or with other people as, a commu- as, as part of the community to, to, 
to try this stuff out. It's really, really, really. That, that's the thing. We want them to learn, not just to say, oh, we're tipping this, so we're backing it. We want you to work out why we're tipping it. Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe you might have a – you could take another position. Well, your mm. guys are wrong. I mean, with the, the, the beauty of Betfair, you can, go, you can become a bookie. You yes. can be a book. Yeah. Mm. But um, just getting back to Dallas, who did start the Punish Show uh, via racenet.com and then we morphed into Punish Show by ourselves and then we've had a, 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 a falling out with Dallas and now we're racing Rant, um, a different name. Dallas came to me and, you know, I'm like a hard race course bloke. I've been out there at that time maybe 35 years and here's this whippersnapper journalist going, oh, I've got an idea and he's – He's like a real car salesman look. And I'm going, oh, yeah, what's your name, Dallas? Like, fucking, I don't want to tell you. I'm betting, like, blah, blah. He goes, oh, and I, I'll never forget. I said, have you got, because he had some problems uh, financially with the 2SM deal and it, yeah. it put him behind the cue ball in life, which can happen to anyone. I said, Dallas, have you got one thing you can say to me that would make me interested in being in business with you? He went, oh. I'm a bankrupt. And I went, <laughs> I went, I'm fucking in. <laughs> and that's, that's, how, that's how I started my association. The, that, that was the only thing he could say to me. And I thought it was so honest. It was so real. Because the Punisher show broke all the rules, didn't it really? It was just like a couple of blokes. In know, a park. Not, yeah, very low production cost. L- very low. Say pro- what you think. And it was fucking well, entertaining. We had a cameraman the first week, remember? Yeah, we did. And have we a thought, camera. oh well, you know, Dallas has kitted up, RaceNet's kitted him up. Yeah, and that was the only day we had a camera. Oh, one off. Dallas yeah. is the only businessman I've ever met that had an eight hundred dollar um, microphone that we hired for two hundred eighty dollars a week for four years. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, <yeah. laughs> just, but he's, you know, I, I, you know, people think I would be really dirty with Dallas, but I got a lot of love there for Dallas. I think he's a Good-hearted guy. Mm. Well, he but started started the ball rolling. And started really, the ball you know, rolling. Really, we, we, you, you know, know we we're a lost him now. But I miss having a drink with him. I miss him telling me funny stories, and um, you know, he's just it's just we walked into something different. Also, he and was he was perfect to, to handle Glenn the rock star. Yeah. So because people, you know, they hadn't been introduced to him. Yeah. And so Dallas was the impresario that basically put him on the stage. Yeah. You know, you couldn't necessarily get enough Glenn if you were out there because there's all these other competing egos whereas Dallas is like I know what I'm doing here I'm putting this guy up front yeah and you know yeah maybe that's why I like him so much <laughs> but he was a, he you know he's a good-hearted guy I, I miss him but anyway just and that's, that's like uh, you're friendly with a lot of people who are sort of my age or younger which I suits me because and yeah I like hanging around younger people because I hate the thought that I'm turning 61 wow. yeah but and I presume that if you weren't the the Racing Round has been a good way for you to continue to meet these new people. Yeah, I have met a lot of – and, and some of them being uh, dear friends. Uh, one of the boys that works here, Matt Taylor, I, I look at Matt as in my top ten friends. He's mm. a real good guy and, you know, he's got a mate called Jeremy, another good friend of mine, and, of course, Luke Doona, that gang and the mm. Bedfecker, and they're all in their 30s and all, all in the game, got skin in the game and want to play and want to get bigger. Yeah. Hard not to like. Yeah. Hard yeah, not to so like. Yeah, so you've adopted the, the next generation. I, I kind of have no friends my age. Yeah. Mm. They're all younger. Mm. Or younger, you know, a couple of old school friends. You ring them once a year when they say someone in the form died. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that, yeah. Well, that that's you know sad to even touch on real life in that way. And, and you know, one of the things that the racetrack gave you was this. It was it was theatre writ large. You didn't feel like you were a part of real lo- re- reality. Mm. Yeah. You know, the money didn't make sense, right? So you just lost all respect for money mm. because you were you were playing with money that, um, you know. That other people thought was just, 
insane. Yeah. 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 And so there's going to probably be some people watching this who don't know you guys and why well, I'll say like I, I think that you guys are very dedicated to making content and obviously this is a piece of content so if they're watching content they probably like, will like your guys' content. You, you put together a lot of content. You put together very um, succinct you know, analysis shows and also preview shows and you also have a bit of fun. I'm an avid um, Monday part two watcher. It's always good fun. Um, so, yeah, do you want to sort of – yeah, so I, I guess I why guess, they should come and visit you guys and 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 yeah become well, members. Really. We're too used to in in the racing industry just being fed stuff. Mm. So it's a hackneyed cliche, but if you teach a man to fish, he's got fish for life. If you feed him fish, he's got fish for a day. Yeah. I mean, that's how the racing mm. media works. The racing media is just busy handing out fish mm-hmm. and pretty smelly fish from a lot of the the, the content that uh, that comes your way. We're into teaching. People how to fish, mm-hmm. yeah. people how to punt, and they're learning not because we're being didactic in that way. We're not just going here, do this and do that and back that and back that. We're we're an ideas organisation, so the, a lot of the content is, a, is 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 disseminating ideas, discussing ideas. You know what makes this horse run better than that horse, and so I'm always trying to dig around, and 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 provide that sort of content. And I've got two amazing talents that I'm working with. Like Glenn, Glenn has got the best combination of amazingly engaging stories and fascinating way of doing form or looking at horses. And then you've got Gord coming in going, I'll show you how to do it. <laughs> and I've, I see my role as, 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 as being able to sort of pick around the edges, try and, try and um, provoke these guys into – giving some of their IP away but I mean it's sharing their IP which other people will then take away and go yeah I, I really like that idea I, I, I can expand on that I can look at look harder at that I think that might be an interesting avenue to explore so that racing rant is a community of punters and we're we're, we're all committed to basically making each every other every other punter better yeah. you know how can we improve our punting because you need to improve all the time yeah. I mean here's here's living testament to the fact that um, yeah. 25 years ago, you walk on the a cucumber track. sandwich, and now he owns half a Randwick. Yeah, that's right. But it's because you've worked and worked and worked and worked. You've never gone. Oh well, I know what to do now. No, no, you're no, trying never. to improve your game. Never rested. Absolutely, I read all the time. I listen to your shows. I try and pick up any bit of information I can. You're on the hunt. You always got to be better on the hunt for and ideas. That, and also because the game keeps changing. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. But, you know, people can find us at Racing Rant, and that's the good right. thing about we, Racing Rant. Yeah, we have a sub fee, but you can come on for two weeks for free and get a good lick of the ice cream and say, look, I'm interested or I'm not. But, you know, get on board and come and check us out. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I mean, look, we, and we support, we actively support all the other communities that are trying to put out content that we think is worthwhile. Yeah, we do actively mm. support the other yeah. communities too. Which yeah. We, yeah. Because yeah. we're all passionate about this game and, you know, when you are passionate about something, you want to share it with other people and you want other people to join you in your passion. Yeah, when I asked you to come on the show, you said to me... Part of the conversation, you said, well, we're all in this together. So, mm. yeah, I'll be there and I'll come and do the show with you, um, which I like to hear. Yeah, well, so I, uh, an example which sort of um, illustrates what I'm talking about is I'm mad about cricket, but I cannot find people to talk cricket about mm. with. You know, I'm on Twitter and I'm throwing out this cricket tweet and they're all going, fuck, <laughs> you know nothing about cricket, fuck off with you. Racing, I've got, an, I've got mm. a spot, yes. you know, I've got some credibility and I can share my stuff and other people will share their stuff with me. It's 
fucking great. Awesome. So just to finish, Glenn, um, I do notice on, on the racing rant that you are very up-to-date with sort of world affairs. You're very knowledgeable and well-read because I feel like you watch a lot of TV, right? So I just want to quickly check. I presume you like betting more than you do like watching TV, right? I, when I study the form, I have the TV on in the background. Right, and you watch a lot of it. Now, I can't, I, I can't do form unless I've got another noise there. Okay, I heard that yes. you used to watch A Current Affair a lot, yeah. but apparently you've barred it. Is it. So my question is, is A Current Affair barred? It is now, yeah, it's, it's barred. It's 100% yeah. barred. So well, I, I took my whole life to get over the fact I wanted to get Tracy Grimshaw off TV because <laughs> I just couldn't look look at her any longer. She's doing my head and they've got this pretty little thing that now, whatever her name is, every time, she, London. Every time she does a story, she starts crying, so I've had to bar it. <laughs> so it's gone? Because I'm gone. I can't stand... I thought I couldn't stand fat people like Tracy, but I can't stand cries worse, so I've had to bar the whole scene. Because <laughs> you're going to get severely tested. So I don't know if you saw, but there's a news story broke yesterday and the headline was teacher charged with running a gambling syndicate with Year 12 students. Oh, it's on this week, isn't it? It's on tonight, on A Current Affair. I'll give it a look. You, you're back? <laughs> you watching it? I'll be back for that. Cool, uh, cool. Finally, we've got a decent teacher in New South Wales. Running right. a gambling syndicate, wow. Great way to finish. Thank you very much, boys. Thank you for coming in. Yeah, Thank you. 25 boys. years thanks, of friendship. Boys. Yeah, and, um, yeah, a lot of friendship. Let's let's keep having fun. All right. Well, thanks for the opportunity. And keep betting. And like I said to you, don't come into this game for entertainment. Come into it to try to win because that's what's important. Here, yeah. here. Great episode. Hope you enjoyed it at home. We'll see you soon.